Hey Podnuts, Corey here from Instant House Call. Whether you're a break-fix tech who needs to provide remote support on demand without pre-installed software, or a managed service provider who wants to connect to unattended PCs anytime, Instant House Call makes remote support easy. I want to invite you to try Instant House Call free for yourself. Go to podnuts.com and click on the link in the show notes, then use the promo code PODNUTS. Instant House Call is the best remote support on earth. We can prove it. Try it free now and see for yourself. Welcome to PodNuts Daily, episode number 486, a show for computer repair techs by computer repair techs. I'm your host, Jeff Alish. I'm joined today by Brian Best from Best Max. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Good to have you on the show. Well, Brian, you have an interesting story all the way around from, number one, it sounds like you work with Mac computers and kind of is an exclusive thing. So, but before we get into that, why don't we go back in time and basically tell us how you got started in in repairing any computers whatsoever? What what really got you into wanting to run and start your own business? Sure. Yeah. You know, it, we talk about going way back. I can actually answer a little bit of the, both questions with, with the same answer. Um, you know, cutting my teeth on uh, a Commodore VIC-20 in the late 80s and doing basic programming on it. And then one day I go over to my friend's house and, and um, this is in high school. Uh, so for me, that's late 80s, early 90s. Go over to his house and he's got a Mac. And it's the first time I've ever seen a computer that has a graphical user interface. Felt like it, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but it felt like Xerox Park. You know, I'm like, whoa, really? <laughs> a mouse? What? What is this crap? Oh, you don't have to type anything? And it, it blew my mind. I was just blown away by it. So they had one at the school as well. And of course, I'm like, I, I got to get in whatever class lets me mess with that thing, you know, so for an hour. Um, and the technology teacher kind of got wind of my interest on that and let me get away with messing with it even after school. Uh, there was a point later on in my school career where I was getting pulled out of classes to go fix the, th- the thing, you know, so it, technology just called and you got to go. I'm like, buy English class. This sucks. I'm going to go <laughs> fix the computer. And, uh, <laughs> so I'd go down and work on the computer. It was great. I mean, just great. So. You know, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that at the time, um, you know, and, and went off to college. And in college, it was a deal where in the early 90s, there really wasn't IT, right? I mean, there were, if you went to college for computers, you were either an engineer and you were designing hardware or you were a, a programmer and you were developing software and a computer science major. And that's what you did. I mean, there there was a need for IT, but nobody really quite knew how to define that, let alone teach it at that point. Um, you know, so I ended up leaving school and just kind of floating around in retail and, and yeah, I don't know what I want to do. You know, I do. <laughs> right. Do I, do I wanted computers? I knew at some point along the line, I figured out that I wanted to start my own business. Um, complete tangent from technology. Uh, went to business school uh, for a year. This is after I blew all my student loans and everything on, on gen ed courses and, and, and whatnot, trying to figure out what I want to do. I go to business school for a year and I'm acing it, you know, 4.0 and, and loving the content and really digging. It didn't even feel like learning. It just felt like, oh, man, this is so great. I know this stuff. I want to do this stuff. Ran out of money. Oh, <laughs> wow. Loans were used up. Uh, so I had to leave that after a year. Um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter, I was fortunate enough to talk the Apple retail and service provider in town into giving me a job. I mean, I was like pestering them for weeks. 
um, you know, and I say weeks, it was actually more like months and I would just go in like every other week, um, saying, Hey guys, you, you got a job for me, you got a job. And they're finally, they're like, okay, we'll take a chance on this guy. And, uh, and it worked out, it worked out real well. Uh, that was my first Apple gig, uh, from there, left them, went into uh, EDU, uh, to, into schools, uh, doing network administrator type work in schools. And, of course, all the schools that had Apple products were the ones they put me in because, obviously, by that time, that was, was my specialty. Um, and then about a year into that, and what a horror story that place was, um, I ended up moving across town. My wife is from Kansas City, and I uh, ended up moving up here. And I uh, said, you know what? I make this move. I'm going to try to take a shot at starting my own business. That was 1999, and uh, I haven't looked back. Uh, the shot worked. Yeah, so yeah, it's been a great ride. But that's that's the early stuff. Okay, Th- that is going way back. You know, and it reminded me. I was thinking about the type of Apple computers that I used when I was a kid, because as I was telling you earlier, I, uh, you know, I had a, a TI-99 Texas Instruments computer, and I remember writing basic programs and stuff on there. But I remember one time my dad had brought home an Apple II GS. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was basically a monitor in computer, kind of all in one, not really a Mac, but it had the mouse and keyboard. And I just remember doing this stupid tutorial over and over again because I thought it was so fascinating, and I don't even remember what year that was. Uh, but what an excellent, uh, what an excellent experience! It was like the tutorial was well worth however much that computer cost. And I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. The tutorial is the main draw of the computer, not a game, not a word processor, not desktop publishing. The tutorial paid for itself. That's great. <laughs> but you know, the, back then that was the thing, and you know, it's it's funny. I, I, I joke today. Uh, because obviously, you know, Apple's taken the turn it's taken for the past, you know, whatever, how many years, God, when did OS ten come out? Almost 20 years ago now, 15 years ago, you know, Apple went to that Unix-based operating system, right? And I had some experience in, in Unix operating systems in college, was pre-Linux. But it, the joke that I often tell today is that... 1992 me would be very upset with 2017 me because all I do is sit in terminal and type all day. I mean, that's why I got a Mac is because I like to point and click and I was wild by all the GUI. And today I'm in the terminal all day, shelling into machines and dealing with servers and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, that, that at the time, way back when the GUI was like, that was the differentiator. And, you know, Microsoft kick some butt with windows by coming in with a GUI they could put on top of DOS. And, and that was that. It's funny that the things that actually that we can use in the background nowadays are the basic things that we learned years ago, but we're able to use them a lot more efficiently. So a lot of times you go, yeah, the GUI is nice for, I don't know, gaming, surfing the internet, things like that. But as far as actually getting work done, yeah, definitely command line and all that. It's <laughs> where it's at. You know, at Apple, uh, you know, it's, it, I often have to teach my guys because uh, they'll go into the the Apple Finder and they'll get info on a folder to fix a permission thing. Uh, you know, user can't access this folder, user can't delete this file or whatever, and they'll go into a, get info in the Finder in the GUI and, and try to set the thing there. And I'm like, stop that! It doesn't work. <laughs> you know, Apple Apple does some tricks with the Finder to try to make it easy for people. I'm doing air quotes; you can't see it, but they try to make it easy for people. We're not those people <laughs> get in the terminal and run a change mode and be done with it. <laughs> you basically, yeah, you had this great start 
really sounded like you're interested in technology, went through the growing pains of what all of us adults do in trying to figure out what we're going to do for our lives. And, and you go from that point, and then all of a sudden now you want to create a, you know you want to be an entrepreneur, you know you want to create a business, so you create a business. And even though you had started with Macs and things, what made you actually decide to do a Mac computer repair support type business? Well, you know, th there was kind of a risk I took, you know, because you know, obviously I'd, I had been a Mac. By the time I started the business, I had been a Mac guy uh, for God, almost 10 years at that point. Right. Um, you know, been a fan of the platform, loved the OS. I had like three or four of them by that point. Um, put up with the midnight, you know, being a Mac guy in the mid 90s was not fun. Right. It's, it's not, I actually have a T-shirt that says I was a Mac guy before it was cool. Um, you know, wait, 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 Apple. Are you saying it's cool now? <laughs> yeah, nice, yeah, nice. That's what I'm talking about. It was, there was a lot of that, but you know, what I didn't have in the mid nineties in response to that was Apple's market share today <laughs> because True. they were like a breath away from going off the planet. Um, and they weren't innovating and they weren't doing anything special at all. I mean, it was just kind of riding coattails of the late eighties. Um, you know, but it, it was, man, it was dark times because it was like, I'm a fan of this platform, but Apple itself is barely hanging on. They're putting out garbage product. Um, uh, I remember getting my hands on a Power Mac 4400, and the thing basically was just like an Acer that my the company I was working for at the time also sold. They did Macs and Windows, Windows PCs. So it was this Acer that they sold, and you open it up, and it looks just like a Power Mac. And I'm like, this is stupid. What are they doing here? They're going to get their butts handed to them and they started doing cloning and all this stuff i mean but you know going through those times and um you know having to defend the platform it was not a it was not a good thing so you know when i got to when i got to kc and into lawrence specifically lawrence kansas for those college basketball fans that are listening uh you know where it is rock chalk Jayhawk. and anyway um so we get down here and I knew I was going to start a business when I when I moved. When I, it was a total geographic reset for me, I said, "All right, I'm going to just take a shot at this. We're going to see what we do. We're going to try to do it, and I'm going to try to do all Mac. It might not work, you know. I, I figured it, at some point, if I was getting my, you know, if I wasn't getting anything, if I wasn't making any headway, um, I would try, you know, I, I do. I was going to try the Mac thing for a while, and if it didn't work, then I'd go cross platform and do both. Okay, right." And and at that point, so I was actually really fortunate. I, I like to chalk it up to survivorship bias, right? Hey, I won the lottery and you can too. You just need to invest all your tickets. So, um, but I basically just put on a shirt and tie and went around to places that I knew were the type of businesses that use Apple gear. At that time, it was creative. It was agencies. It was print house. Uh, it was, um, they still had a little bit of foothold in education, but they were starting to lose it a little bit. Um, but yeah, mostly creative, uh, and that sort of thing. And so I, I remember walking into one of the first people I visited was a very small ad agency and I walked in and I knew I was in the right place. So I could see this was 99. So, you know, they had all the multicolors at that point. So they had those blue and white towers and they had the, oh yeah. You know, the IMAX, everything was, was pretty colors and translucent plastic at that point. Um, so I knew it was, it was very easy to spot when you were in a place that had Apple gear. So I walk in and they were experiencing an issue right then and there. And I just happened to walk in on it. And they were like, 
really? Are you kidding? Get over here. <laughs> like, can I help? Yeah, get over here. So sure as heck, I sit down and fix their problem, and, and there you go. I had a first client. Um, you know, Later that week, I went into a print house, and there was a guy there who was what I like to call the default technician. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about, oh. the, the person who had the most aptitude. So they said, okay, well, you're going to do the computers in addition to your own job. And I tell him what I'm there for, and he's like, he's like, oh, is it your lucky day? Because <laughs> he didn't want to do it. <laughs> um, and he wasn't only he wasn't just fielding his uh, computers at his business; he was fielding all of their customers' computers as well. So not only did I get their business, but I got their customers' businesses by referral as well. Um, and that's kind of how it got started. And so I never had to. Uh, go back to that fallback position. I just said, you know what, we're going to do all Mac and that's all we're doing and never had to change it. We, we never bumped into a reason to change it. That is awesome. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of people don't think that they can basically go down and just deal with something that they're really good at. But the reality is you can, and you did, and you showed that, you know, it's definitely possible. Now, yes, I'm sure there's a lot of being in the right place at the right time, but you knew that stuff like the back of your hand. So you were able to come in and save the day. And then once that referral goes out and you're right, a lot of the creative stuff that's being done out there. Now, I, I'm sure it's changing over a little bit, but I would say that anybody that's creating anything is probably still using Max for most of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's still, it's very much a stronghold. I mean, you, you, it goes, it dates back to desktop publishing. I mean, in the early, or not early, but mid 80s, I mean, a Mac, a laser printer, and Adobe, uh, PostScript, and, and those sorts of products, you know, that was desktop publishing. Prior to that, it was unheard of to print your own press quality uh, documents, right? So, I mean, that's where Apple got that foothold and it's really never really gone away. Um, yeah. And the, in the early two thousands, you know, they start kind of getting on their rise. Uh, my, Windows Vista. Oh, I love Windows Vista. <laughs> Windows Vista was so good for me. <laughs> it really was. I had doctors, I had lawyers, I had everybody calling me. I mean, this, and this was also the heyday of Apple's uh, goofy um, Mac versus PC, you know, that with oh, John yeah. Hodge. And they're doing the, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, and they're playing up that stereotype crap. Right, exactly. Um, you know, I rode that wave all the way to the bank. I mean, it was just great. Um, you know, so we got a lot. Um, and even now, I mean, you still look at growth in the industry, and it's it's tempered a little bit now. But, you know, Apple, mar Apple uh, market share is still growing, um, where a lot of a Windows desktop market share is shrinking. So still a really good market and, and one that if you're not doing it now, I would definitely encourage you to, to take another look at it. Absolutely. Um, and, and add it to your repertoire. Um, Cause yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge thing. And you know, it, I don't want to, like I said, survivorship bias, right? I don't want to say that it was all, all sunshine and roses at the beginning. In fact, probably the only way I was able to get as far as I got was because I got a contracting gig. Um, that was looking for people who could teach Mac troubleshooting. And so I was on the road 26 weeks out of the year for the first four years of the business doing these two and three day seminars all over the country on how to fix a Mac. Wow. And so I'd go into a hotel room and I'd get anywhere from three to, to a hundred people in a hotel room um, and be up front on stage talking about, you know, here's how you do it. Here's how you boot from another disc and here's how you, do extension troubleshooting and so forth um, and get into networking and whatnot. But 
you know, finally about four years into that signed a pretty large client that's still with me today, actually, um, where I was able to replace that revenue and then I didn't have to travel anymore. Nice. When, and I'm sure that teaching those things because you knew them so well, that's a lot of times a problem. When you jump from one OS to another, they're all very similar and they can do the same types of things. But if you're not in it all the time, you don't really know it that well. So you've got to look a lot of things up or you've got to call a guy like you and say, hey, what do I do in this situation? Because I'm not sure. I know I still in the OS, and this is my fault because I don't really concentrate on the the Mac stuff. I still fumble through it. You know, can I fix a problem? Yeah, eventually. But there's people that are much better at it and much quicker than I am. So I try to stay on what, what I'm good at, which is on the PC side. And we were talking about it earlier. When you talk about the Apple stores, you know, I've gotten customers from the Apple store because they go in and they go, no, you're going to have to buy a new computer. It's it's out of warranty, whatever. And people will bring it to you and go, this is what they tell me. Oh, yeah, you just need a new hard drive or, you know, this or that or the other. And so you're able to help them with those types of problems where these stores are basically going, they just want to turn product. And that's really what they're there for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at look at it like you look at a Best Buy, right? And and a, and we talked briefly about this earlier. But you look at Geek Squad. Geek Squad might be as inclined to do the exact same thing. Oh, you need a new computer? Why? They sell product. That's their margin. That's their revenue. That's their our goal as independents, as consultants or repair folks. Is you know we just want to get you back up and running, get you back to work. Um, you know, I'm not, I I was actually, you know, it's funny after I signed that big client, one of the first things I did was I fulfilled a dream was I wanted to open a retail store. I wanted to be open a retail and repair, uh, Apple authorized retail repair shop, uh, kind of like the one that I got started in all those years prior. Um, boy, was that freaking dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That was was some of the worst four years ever. Um, it, it was a nightmare. Um, and all the horror stories I could tell you from that thing. Um, but, you know, ultimately that's, but when you take that out of the equation, and maybe that's why I didn't do so good at it, because I wasn't really interested in selling people new computers all the darn time. Um, you know, I was really just interested in helping people, you know, have a great experience with this computer uh, and love it and enjoy it as much as I do. Um, and I don't think that's a unique to Mac thing at all. Uh, I think anybody who's listening here who's a, a Windows first kind of person, you know, you really obviously enjoy the technology and you want somebody else to enjoy it too. Um, and hopefully get their, help them get their work done. Exactly. You know, you were talking earlier about the, you know, how Vista really helped. And this is where, here, here's kind of the difference. And I really, I blame this on the consumers, to be honest with you, because on the Windows side, the consumers are so cheap that they want the cheapest thing to last them 10 years, which is just an impossibility. So when they were bringing Vista out, I, I ran Vista. And Vista on my whatever it was at the time, I don't, I don't think it was an i7 at the time, but whatever, whatever processor I was running, the amount of RAM I had in there, it ran beautifully. I had no problems with Vista whatsoever. But all the stuff I was fixing was like, what do you mean one gig of RAM? Would make something with one gig of RAM? Are you kidding me? And so it's because the consumer is so stinking cheap on the Windows side that I think that's why Vista got such a horrible name. 
And, you know, that's funny because I, I don't have, you know, honestly, I, I use, I say that joke a lot, but I don't have any technical backing on it. Like, I never touched Vista. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what was so bad about it. I'm like, really? What was so, I don't know. I'll admit, it led a lot of people to switch to Mac. That's all I really love about it. Um, it that's got awesome. me a lot of business. I got so many, I hate this Vista thing, but I'm going to try this Mac. You want to help us out with that? Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, but yeah, no, so you're basically what you're telling me then is that the reason Windows 7 was successful is that eventually people got newer computers and, oh, okay, I'll give Microsoft another shot. Oh, yeah, Windows 7 is not so bad. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, again, it's the window, it's the Windows, 8, you know, Windows 8, same thing. Um, you know, it was kind of a hog, you know, in, in quite honestly, a lot of people would hold off on Windows 10. And I'm like, listen, to be honest with you, Windows 10 runs circles around Windows 7 as far as the operating system itself. What's going on in the background? The, the architecture and the way they did it, it runs so much better than Windows 7. But a lot of people were stuck because of things like they had proprietary software that was built for <laughs> yeah. a specific reason. So in Windows 10 didn't necessarily support that. And these companies wanted to buy another, you know, $20,000, $30,000 worth of licensing in order to upgrade to the next operating system or that company was no longer around. So there was a lot of different things in there, but as far as the operating system, I I've had them all and they've, they've worked fine for me. Of course, I've never tried to run a system underpowered and that's the biggest thing. Now, that is, yeah, that's, that's, well, that's important in my world too. You know, I guess you'll get somebody who's like, I just upgraded to, to Sierra. It's like, why'd you do that? You're running an eight year old computer with oh. a spinning hard drive. This is going to be miserable. Uh, so yeah, we get the, get the same kind of thing. I mean, uh, Apple does a, I think a reasonably decent job of, of getting rid of old hardware, uh, and saying, Hey, this new OS, cause obviously they control both. Right. Right. So you don't bump into the deal where it's like. You know, they can tell you, okay, this hardware is not going to run this OS, period, paragraph. It's just not going to run it. We're not going to let it. And sometimes that's that can look like planned obsolescence on their part. Sometimes it's for good reason. I, I forget what version it was, but there was a release of iOS that they allowed to run on an iPhone 4. And when you did, you were just like, oh, my God, why did you do this? <laughs> you need to go get a new phone like tomorrow, please, because it was dog slow. Even when you disabled all the, the fancy animations, and whatnot, it was still a dog. Um, and, uh, you know, that's one where I kind of wish they had said, "Nah, this requires something newer than an iPhone 4. Um, but, yeah, it's so it, I hear exactly what you're saying with somebody you know, wanting the something new and shiny for an OS, but not realizing they really need to go ahead and let the dominoes fall and do all the upgrades with it, uh, including the hardware. Right. And what, what is the um, longevity of a Mac normally as far as a business use case scenario, or even, I, I guess, even on a residential side, somebody that's using it in a home office or something like that? So interesting quandary in the Apple bubble right now. Uh, in that, because I, I used to, for years, for for almost the entirety of my my time in business, I've said three to five years is kind of the magic number. Um, you know, you get into you know into that range of three to five years, you can reinvest your money and buy a new machine, and there will be enough benefit to you that you'll see a bang for your buck, right? Your, your stuff has gotten old enough that it's probably affecting your productivity because it's so much slower than what's available now, especially if you were keeping tabs on, if you were doing OS updates associated with that, because we're obviously just like, 
in Windows, new OSs, obviously new software always makes things slower. New hardware always makes things faster. Um, so, you know, that's been the, the thing I've always said. Well, I can't say that to Mac Pro users right now. Because if you go to the Apple store today and you buy a Mac Pro, you're getting a machine that was done in 2013. That's four years ago. And the mini, the Mac mini is the same way. I mean, basically anything but desktops and iMacs. Now, actually, to be fair, they did speed bump the Mac Pros just a little bit, but still not nearly what they should have. And they, they came out about a month or two ago and admitted, OK, we screwed up. Right. Weird to see Apple really do that and just say, yeah, we, we botched it. We're working on a brand new Mac Pro. Um, but that's how bad it got. Uh, that they let it stagnate for so many years. And it almost, it, it, they didn't even address the Mini. The Mini is where it's really bad. 2014 was the last time we saw a new model from them. You go to the Apple store and you buy a Mini today, you're buying one from 2014. Um, and and it was actually slower than the one from 2012 as, as far as capabilities. It, it's funny because I was just at a customer's house and he actually does wedding photography and videography for weddings. And he and I'm looking, and I remember this uh, the uh, the Mac Pro. There's a Mac Pro sitting there, and I can't remember what the specs on on this thing. But I mean, it was like at the time, and it's probably only like four years old. It was fully loaded and ready to go. And he's running everything from two 27 inch iMacs, which he bought, upgraded the memory, you know, on his own, and that's and they're working just fine for what he needs them for. You know, the, the really stunning thing for me, and, and if I ever got the ear of Tim Cook or any of the folks uh, on the upper levels of Apple, th th I don't. But if I did, um, one of the things I would I would tell them is like, okay, I get the iMac, right? I get it. It's it's great product. And they just announced this iMac Pro that they're going to bring out at the end of the year that's like ungodly specs. It's, it's amazing specs on the thing. And it's it's you know, it's a pro-level machine, and it's priced like a pro-level machine. The thing that drives me nuts about it, I don't always want your freaking monitor. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I get it. It's got a 5K display on it. It's gorgeous. Yay. What if I already got a monitor? Just, you know, why? What is this this thing you guys have against a modular machine? Um, you know, but it, that's that's life with Apple. Uh, in some ways is that, and I think this is what, when, when I talk to windows guys and maybe a lot of the listeners, this is a legitimate beef with Apple is like, I want to build something that I know what I want it to be, but that's not what Apple customers are, are typically looking for. Apple customers are like, make the decision for me and tell me what I should have. And sometimes as a technique, as a technical person, as a, you know, somebody who's uh, skilled at this, I look at the decision and I come to a different answer. More often than not, I don't. Um, Apple Watch, love Apple Watch. I'm wearing Air AirPods right now, love them. You know, they look goofy as hell. But I mean, that is a good example. That's they look goofy as hell. They're, they're I look like I have white earrings on. But I love them. They work great. I love them. Right. The, the wireless chip they put in there, fantastic. I look stupid. I'm glad I have a beard. You can't really see them from the front. I have to turn my head. Then you can see my goofy earrings. Um, you know, but. An iPhone, you know, I actually run an SE because I like the smaller form factor. Uh, I'd love if Apple would bring out something with the guts of the iPhone 7. Just make a 4-inch iPhone 7S, right? Or an iPhone 8 in the 4-inch form factor, that smaller form factor. They're probably not going to do it. This is a, The SE will probably go away, and then I'll be forced to go get something that cramps my hand again. Um, 
but that's that's the really you know so when you talk to a windows guy that says i hate apple you know one of the things that if it's just you know did apple treat you bad when you were younger i got a kid fired from subway for that once um but (laughs) that's another story um but the uh, you know sometimes it's just okay. This is really unfounded. This is legitimate. It's based on crap that I heard in the mid '90s, and it was dumb then too. Sometimes it's legit. It's okay. Why am I going to buy this machine from Apple when I could build a Mac for myself? You know, I could build a PC with better components at about half the cost. Really hard to argue with that. It, it really is. Um, so, um, but that's that's again, you're not Apple's target customer though. Apple's target customer doesn't. No, doesn't get it. They just want the one with more GBs. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's it. So. Now, I got oh, I got a burning question. So you said you love the Apple Watch. Now, from a from a layman's standpoint, what does the Apple Watch do for you that you could not do without? My favorite thing in the Apple Watch is that it keeps my phone in my pocket. Okay. You know, I if if my phone dings, I take it out of the pocket. I read whatever it was dinging about, and it's like, hmm, let's better check. Oh, look, I got an email. My email thing has seventeen things on it. Well, let's go check that. See if that's important. Oh, look, there's a Facebook notification too. Let's go check that. With the watch, it dings. I look at it. I see what the ding was about. I swipe up and I hit a button with a canned response on it, like yes, no, maybe, whatever. And then I turn my wrist back down. And I don't look at anything else. It keeps me in the moment. That's my favorite part of it. You know what else will do that? <laughs> no, God, what do we got? What else will Just do that? Just shut off your notifications. Just shut off my notifications. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's, that's the thing. I get sucked into it. You know, I, I pull out the phone. I get sucked into the thing. And yeah, I mean, obviously, if it's important. But I, I got a wife and three kids, man. I can't just shut off notifications. I'll- well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I wear Sony smartwatch, and that's the number one thing that I – there's actually two things I like about it. Number one is the notifications. Yes, I don't have to pull my phone out of my pocket, which especially when I'm at work, it's much easier to look at. Okay, there, hey, there's a text message, whatever. It's, it's easy to answer. Now, the other thing I like about it, and this is going to seem silly for some people out there, I actually like that it tracks my sleep. Um, I do that with mine too. It's not a built-in feature, the watch, but I actually found an app that does the same thing. So I do the same thing too. I've got a sleep monitor on there. So I, I charge it at some point for like an hour during the day when I'm, I don't need it sitting at my desk here. You can, you can sit in your charger and I wear it all night. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, yeah. One of the things that I like about it is that's actually how my alarm goes off. So my, the app that's on my, on my phone is actually set for 5.30 but it's supposed to wake you up when you're in your lightest amount of sleep between five and five thirty. And you know, oh, nice. I don't know if it works or not. Cause it usually wakes me up at five. So I'm not sure, but <laughs> <laughs> so the programmer said, yeah, it sort of works here. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, maybe it's getting me up earlier to be more productive. I don't know, but it, it works. <laughs> oh man. I'm so not a morning person getting up at five. Oh, I'm here to stab somebody. Uh, <laughs> give me coffee. Give it to me now. Um, yeah, no way. You know, it's funny though when you mentioned that with the with the notifications bit. There's a great friend of mine, and I, I know he's going to be listening to this. Um, that pointed out something very weird to me, and I've been self conscious about it ever since. And that is, a notification will go off, and I'll be talking with somebody who's not a technical person, you know, uh, maybe a client or maybe somebody, uh, a relative or a friend, and a notification will go off, and I'll flip my wrist over and I'll look at my watch, and they'll say, "Oh, do you have to go?" 
And I'm like, no, no, it's just a stupid thing. No, no I'm fine. Don't worry about it. But they think I'm all of a sudden very disinterested in anything they have to say. <laughs> I have to reassure them, no, no, it's, it's all good. <laughs> Please get one of these so you'll understand. <laughs> So now going back to your business though, you, you basically have, you went Mac only and you started supporting not only creative stuff. Now, are you doing server type things, networking and whatnot in these businesses? Server was our bread and butter for, um, you know, Apple had servers. Um, God, when, when did they kill the Xserve? I want to say they killed the Xserve like six, seven years ago. Um, but so Apple had this, this great one U rack mount server, uh, with hot, with easily hot swappable components, and those that weren't hot swappable were stupid easy to get up, get out of there. Uh, redundant power supplies, uh, hardware RAID cards. I mean, just a great piece of server hardware. And they had a server OS that was really good. I mean, it, it you know it, it had some quirkiness to it, but for the most part, it, it worked great for um, you know kind of the same things you'd want out of a Windows server, right? You want DNS, you want Active Directory. Um, you want uh, single sign-on for all the different services. You know, this would do all the same sort of stuff. And it was fantastic. And we got known in the Kansas City area as the Mac server guys. If you were doing a Mac server, we got the call. I mean, we got referrals from the Apple stores like crazy anytime somebody wanted to do something with a Mac server. Then in, like I said, 2010, Apple discontinued that hardware. And they took what used the server OS that used to be about a thousand bucks they moved it onto the app store and started charging $30 for it. Yeah. And you're, and you're thinking, wow, is that a deal? No, because the quality went to crap. I mean, it was just, it was, and, and I can't, you know, again, it goes back to what we said earlier about, about like the genius bar and geek squad, right? They want to sell product. So if you look at when I, when I sat down and kind of got over the, Oh my God, you just kicked me in the junk. Uh, and uh, thanks, Apple. <laughs> what are you doing here, right? But I look at it from their point of view, and I get it because they're going to sell a boatload more Macs by making it a good player in Windows network environments. Make, giving it so they so they rewrote the AD client so it could it could bind with AD. It's still kind of crappy, but that's another story. Uh, but you know, uh, licensed exchange. I mean, that was one of the smartest things they could have done for iPad was licensing an, an Exchange ActiveSync client from Microsoft for the iPad. So all of a sudden, you know, the CEO who comes in with his cool new iPad says, make this work with our Exchange server. Yeah, no problem. There. Now you got all your email and your calendars and everything. Uh, you know, that was it. So from Apple's perspective, yeah, we're going to sell a ton more devices by giving up on this server nonsense and making the Mac a really good player in Windows network and server environments because they were not about to displace Windows in enterprise in those environments. wasn't going to happen. It was never going to happen. You see a lot of your small businesses, though, going away from a traditional server and going to more like a network attached storage. Yeah, we are. I mean, at Best Max, you know, obviously, we, we it took us a little longer than it should have to get over the whole server thing. So we kept trying to go with server through, you know, this is the 10.6 uh, Snow Leopard was probably the last really great macOS server. Um, and then, you know, 10.7, 10.8, and, and we, I think we've got a couple of 10.9s out there. And then we were just like, God, this thing is, it's 
you breathe on it wrong and the directory goes nuts. <laughs> I mean, you look at it funny and the directory crashes. <laughs> and, you know, we're restoring the directory for backup. Sorry, everybody. You got booted off your server. You can't log in. Um, it just kind of started to cause too much headache. So, yeah, we've actually done a lot of uh, – are doing a lot of Synology now. Um, you know, so the Synology NAS, it's, it's a NAS, but really it's a Linux server. Uh, on top of some disks and a and a fancy GUI, um, so you know you get into the underpinnings of it, and you know basically you're looking at Linux under there. So a lot of the things you would expect to be there are there. Um, so we've been deploying a lot of that uh, to replace those aging servers and get rid of them. Um, and and my preda, you know, we're late to the party on that. A lot of my peers in the Apple bubble. Um, uh, have been doing Synology for years now. They they got over the server thing a lot faster than I did. Um, and so they, you know, that's, but you're right. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. We're also uh, seeing the side effects of cloud and consumerization of IT in that a lot of the things we used to do on the Macs when we were doing Mac servers, like imaging, imaging doesn't really happen a lot on the Mac anymore. You usually take it out of the box. In fact, MDM is the future of Mac support. I mean, the, the stuff that we do for mobile for like iOS, iPad, Android, uh, Winmo, th those sorts of things. Apple's extending a lot of the functionality of MDM onto the Mac platform as well for pushing configuration profiles um, and, and management. And now you can even push uh, installer packages that way. So you're looking at okay, you take them, you you take a Mac that you bought from Apple. It's enrolled in this thing they call device enrollment program. As an IT guy, I don't even have to touch it. I hand it to my user. They open it up, and as soon as it gets on the network, it checks in with Apple, and Apple says, "Oh, hey, you're supposed to be getting your management from this server that I told them to enroll it in," and it goes and enrolls my MDM automatically. And then my MDM profiles kick in, and it installs whatever apps I tell it to install. It configures their Exchange account, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I told it to do, I don't even have to touch it. I hand it to them. Um, so, yeah, so that that's that's huge, uh, and that's that's been a huge paradigm shift. And it's still early on uh, on the Mac side, anyway. It's on iOS. It's been getting better for a number of years now. Um, but on the Mac side, that's they're going to converge in that way as well. And so. It, it, we've we've had to be kind of nimble uh, on large business deployments. You know, when you're talking consumers or real real tiny SMBs, you know, they don't really care so much. They just want it to work. So a lot of times we'll just kind of do it manually. We're on managed services plans anyway, um, so we're not charging labor to do it. We're just so we're just going to take the path of least resistance for us to get it up and going for them. Okay, that's good. The reason I asked was I had actually this customer I'd went out to. They had bought a QNAP, and which is a network attached storage. Obviously, you know, but for anybody that doesn't know out there, similar to Synology, probably a little less expensive, I would say, for the most part. Um, a lot of the same features. Now, this whoever this sold this QNAP to this person basically said, "Hey, oh yeah, you can plug this in Ethernet wire to two iMacs and go ahead and share the information." <laughs> so I get over there, I'm troubleshooting this thing, and I'm like going. Not realizing, I'm just thinking he has it plugged into the network, yada, yada, no big deal. I'm like, no, I can't get a connection here. I don't know what's going on. Going through the setup process, he's telling me something about he had set up a proxy server and basically it worked for a little bit. And so then I'm finally tracing the wires back, which I should have done when I got there. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is just plugged directly into the iMac. He goes, yeah, I want to plug these two in and I want them to share. And I said, no, 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 no said network attached storage. 
Yeah. This lives on the net. We we need to we need to put this on your network. And you know, so I'm looking at the switch and I go, Oh, he's got an old 10 100 switch. I'm like, Yeah, we need to replace that. Yeah, yeah. That's an easy win. Yeah. So, but the other thing was I couldn't get in the router. The router was hosed. The router was working enough to give them Wi-Fi access. But when you tried to get in there, I'm like going, Is how old your router? He said, uh, well, five years old. I'm like, yeah, it's done. I said, you need a new router. You need a new switch. Then you can plug this thing in and set it up and you can share it, but it's going to go over the ethernet around about, not directly into the computer. Cause he wanted to be able to access it from both the iMacs simultaneously. We used to see that with FireWire drives too. The, you know, FireWire drives would, would allow for daisy chaining. So you could plug, you know, from the computer into the drive into one port and the second port would go to another device. I used to see the second device would be another computer. And they're like, I plugged it into both computers. It should work. I'm like, no, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> and unless you invest in a SAN. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Oh, only 10 grand. Uh, yeah. I need some fiber channel. Here you go. No, um, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, in my head, I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. But then I started second guessing myself and going, well, maybe they have something special set up in the QNAP. I don't know because I don't normally deal with them. So I'm like, going, but if it's like any other network attached storage, you know, this is how it normally works. You know that's that's funny. We we're we're getting ready to release our our we could, best max. We're 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 getting a lot of requests because of some things have happened in, in my recent past uh, from you know folks on the Windows side. Kind of hey, can you help me with Mac stuff? And so we we were looking to put together something that would would help out with that. We're real close to releasing it, but one of the things we keep encountering as we are uh, doing some due diligence on that process and and kind of getting a feel for what. Windows first IT folks are seeing out there when they encounter Apple gear is we're seeing a lot of, uh, I don't know, I need to coin a term for it, like uh, Apple voodoo. You know, it's kind of like, why does, hey, this is weird. Now, it, when you look at it objectively as, as somebody who's who isn't affected by the Apple voodoo because I live in that world, you look at it and you're like, well, this is easy. This is a very simple hardware issue. Like like if we, if we go back to your QNAP, you didn't get affected by this, but you somebody with the Apple voodoo might be like, can a Mac do that? Right. You know, it's like, no, Mac can't do that. It's network attached storage. It doesn't, that's not, that's not how it works. It's not how any of this works. But, you know, you get kind of caught up in the, in the whole Apple voodoo of, well, gee, maybe it does. And, and it's just that it's just different enough to throw people off, you know? And, um, and that's something we're, we're going to try to work to dispel a little bit is some of that, that Apple voodoo. Uh, that's out there um, and help people because it is it's a you know if you can take it on and you already know probably 90% of what you need to know in order to do it if you've got a lot of Windows support experience you just need to need to get rid of that voodoo and you need to get a little help getting over the hump of that extra 10% you're going to be good to go well we always we always try to tell people to if you want to support Macs you know get a Mac get a used Mac you, you know get something inexpensive work on it, use it. The problem is in this day and age, you're used to whatever you're used to using. And if you're in a Windows environment, you're used to a Windows desktop, it's very hard unless you shut everything else off and to totally concentrate on that Mac stuff. 
Yeah, it's it's like immersion therapy, right? It's like learning a new language. You, you I, I mean, I took four years of Spanish in high school, right? I could probably do like four sentences at this point. Porque los buffalos son grandes. I mean, that's it. I, because buffaloes are big. That's all I remember. It's some stupid joke one of my classmates said, right? I mean, it's, uh, I, I could I maybe could do maybe twenty words of it because I don't use it. Use or lose it, right? Um, and I think it's kind of the same way. And, and again, same deal. We, we've encountered that too. And talking to folks, um, you know, Hey, I got a Mac. Uh, I got this little crappy Mac from that's 10 years old and I got it for like 20 bucks. And I'm going to learn how to support Mac on it. No, you're not. I mean, you, you really have to immerse yourself in it. And you know, the, probably the reason you chose windows to begin with is because you, maybe you tried a Mac and you didn't like it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've I've experimented with various flavors of Windows over the years before I finally said, nah, you know what? I'm never doing this. Drives me nuts. My nine-year-old has a Windows 10 PC downstairs, and occasionally I have to work on it. I curse every time. <laughs> you know? Like, God damn it, Windows, shut up. What do you want now? Um, you know, it, it's irrational. It's it's, But it, it, it's, it really is a personal choice kind of deal. And if you really liked the Apple ecosystem, you'd be using it. And you're not. So yeah, I don't think it's realistic for somebody who, you know, you look at it and you look at the revenue opportunity there. Yeah. I mean, we're positing to folks that you could probably grow your business, your Windows support business by 15% or more by taking on Apple clients. At the very least, you're not sending them away um, or potentially getting yourself replaced, right? Because you're not supporting that. Um and, and so, you know, the, the dollar signs are there. You're like, man, I should be able to take this on. But, you know, you don't want to immerse yourself in it. So what do you do? And that's that's the gap we're working on filling. Awesome. No, that sounds great. I, you know, it's one of those things where when you think about Windows, the only reason, really, if I wasn't a gamer, I, you know, I, maybe I wouldn't have the necessity <laughs> to have Windows. But I'm a gamer. So Linux is out. In Macs are out. Sorry, but they're they're just they're not going to do the gaming now. Everybody will say, "Oh, you know, you go to console gaming." Yeah, that's not a real gamer, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. That's why we have this. My my son is is big into cars, and uh, not just cars in general, but car safety ratings. It's kind of weird. It's a it's a fun story, but um, and, and so there's this app uh, for Windows called uh, BeamNG. And it's available on, I think it's on Steam, right? And so I, so I tried. I, I, had a, I had a spare Mac sitting here. And I'm like, all right, well, it, it's not Mac compatible. All right, fine. Let's let's reboot it to Windows. Um, and I, so I put Windows on this Mac hardware because I just happened to have it. It ran like crap. <laughs> and, and it occurs to me, I'm like, this is why Apple is never going to be a gaming platform. Because to get the level of hardware that a gamer needs, you're looking at Mac, you're looking at pro-level Mac stuff at like, Three, four thousand dollars. No, you know, that's never going to happen. Nobody's going to spend that, especially when you can get a PC for like a thousand bucks that has the awesome video card you need. And there you go. Uh, that's why Apple's never going to never going to catch up on the gaming thing. Not a chance. So you've gone from, I mean, you basically you did the servers. You're doing a lot of the the uh, Synology NAS. In, is there a reason you pick Synology over any other type of NAS out there? I, I'd love to tell you if it was no, you know. Uh, that was that was more peer level type influence than anything. Uh, a lot of my peers in the Apple bubble were went to Synology, um, so I had enough friend, a number of friends in the industry that were doing it already. And so I was like, well, here's a safety net for us. If this thing blows up in our face, I can call you know Joe out of uh, out of Boston and be like, hey, dude, what is this? <laughs> you told me the Synology thing was awesome. It sucks. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, but no, so far it's been good for us. Okay. 
Good, good. No, I hear a lot of good things about Synology. I, you know, I, it's one of those things where you want to try all the things that are out there, but sometimes money and time kind of get in the way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, but getting, uh, good recommendations from folks, I, I've, as, as a result of some of this work that I'm doing, I've been getting on a lot of the different, um, you know, windows, Facebook forums and, and it pro forums, um, and various different websites and whatnot. And so I'm starting to get a feel. One of the things that, that has been helpful was we actually started, uh, just this year taking a plurge on ubiquity gear. And, you know, for a long time, we installed Apple airport gear because most of our needs aren't, aren't high density, uh, wireless environments. Um, and in the Apple bubble, the, the big, uh, high density Wi-Fi stuff is Meraki. I mean, don't get me wrong, Meraki is a fantastic product, but it's price points obscene. Um, and, you know, so selling it to my clients, they're like, it's Wi-Fi. Why are we paying this much for Wi-Fi? And it's like, but it's really good. It's easy to set up. We don't care how easy to set it is to set up. That's your job. Um, yeah, you got a point there. You got me. Uh, can we just get this base station for a couple, Apple base station for a couple hundred bucks? Well, then, you know, Apple base stations have kind of fallen into the same realm as the Pro and the Mini. They haven't been updated in a long time. In fact, there's talk out there that they're end of life. Ooh. Yeah, so we were like, well, maybe we need to start doing our homework and get ready to live without Apple-based Wi-Fi. And so, you know, asked around to some folks, got a wind of ubiquity, and installed it in a few places, installed it here at my house. And it was like, this is awesome. <laughs> we're rolling this out everywhere. Uh, but, you know, there's so many different, like you said, there's so many different vendors you can pick and choose from. Um and you know, that's ultimately, I think a lot of um, you know reviews, peer reviews, and social proof uh, is what a lot of us, I think, rely on. Have you used this? I mean, you go into forums. Have you guys used Product X? Yeah, I use Product X. I love them. No, Product X is garbage. Get away from them. And then it's just kind of all right. Well, maybe I should give Product X a shot and see what we think. And uh, yeah, so we did that with Ubiquity and really like it. But yeah, you're right. There's just I'd love to have more time in my day to just grab a piece of technology. We, we actually at Best Max, we actually devote time to R&D. Like I try to encourage the guys, you know, take an afternoon a week or every other week or something and just pick a technology that you think might benefit us that we just don't have time to dink with and dink with it and and come back to us and tell us what you think. Yeah, I, you know, I went from, you know, and I've told this story on a couple of other shows, but real quick, I went from consumer grade routers and, you know, wireless and all that kind of stuff. I've always had my own stuff and in not, not the cheap stuff. I would spend 200 to $300 for a consumer grade router and they were okay, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything astounding. Well, somebody had sent me an Arachnus router and I'd seen them and, and use their watt box and stuff like that. But I started using the Arachnus router and I'm like, this thing's awesome. And then I had a customer that needed a setup. So I got him a router in AP point. And just at that time, I was playing around with this stuff and my wireless went out on my consumer grade router. It was $300. And so I said, you know what? Let me, let me grab this AP out of the box and we'll use this access point and set up the Wi-Fi. Stellar Wi-Fi. I'm like, there's no antennas on this thing. How it, this is awesome. And it's a little little hockey puck that sticks on the wall or back in the closet or whatever. I'm like, oh wow, really? Yeah, I'm like going, this is unbelievable. And this covers, you know, I was showing my my family yesterday, I'm out in my backyard where my son's graduation party, and I'm like going, 
I said, see, we're all the way out in the backyard here. I said, see how I got five bars? I said, my, my, my little disc that has no antennas except internal is serving like from my front yard to my backyard. And I've got, you know, a decent sized house. And I'm like, I, I get the signal everywhere. It's awesome. So I finally said, you know what? I'm going to start eating my own dog food. This is the stuff I'm going to sell. And to be honest with you, if a residential customer needs something, this is what I'm going to sell because the price point is so close to, you know, high end consumer grade routers, but you're going to have so much, a much better experience using it that I would rather throw this stuff in instead of the junk that they sell out there at the big box stores. Well, you know, flip side of that coin, same deal. You know, we, we, we looked at, we started, we pull up our first ubiquity and we were looking at some of the reporting their, their dashboard gives you. Uh, I'm looking at machines that are, and I'm actually able to see their bandwidth in real time, you know, how much bandwidth their, their transfer rate. And I'm like, holy crap. And it like hit me over the top. It's like hitting me over the top of the head. Like, why did you ever use Apple airport? You were stupid, 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 you know, cause it doesn't show you anything. It's a total consumer level device. And I'm like, we're deploying this at business. What were we thinking? <laughs> you know, um, I can't imagine how many issues we're going to solve now. My Wi-Fi stinks. Yeah. You know why here? Look at this. Um, yeah, same, exactly. Definitely worth a, a little more. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's that's what you're talking about, though, right? The finding time in the business to make time to do that, to explore that, because we, we none of us, none, I don't think anybody listening to this knows everything there is to know, right? There's there's going to be people who know a lot more than I do, maybe a lot more than you do, um, but nobody knows everything, nobody, and because it's just growing too fast. There's too much stuff, too many vendors. There's no way you can possibly know it all. Um, yeah, finding time to do that's hugely important. Exactly. Now, what types of things now, obviously you have managed services. So does that entail some sort of remote monitoring or is that stuff that you do manually on the Macs? Is there something that's equivalent to what we use on the Windows side or how, how does that all work? So funny story there. Uh, so in 2009, I got out of the retail bit after four years of wanting to, you know, do bad things to myself, uh, finally said, okay, fine, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. What do I do now? And I got wind of the whole managed services concept and the, and the Apple bubble has been really slow to, it has really been behind the curve. So like, there's still a lot of Apple folk out there that are, you know, for now, just now hearing about managed services saying, I got to do that. Right. And in the, in the PC, you say managed services. Oh, that's old hat. I'm doing VCIO now. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Um, so we were, you know, when we did that in 2010. We were one of the first uh, all Mac uh, businesses that went all in on managed services. And, and that's all we do at this point. We won't sign a client that doesn't have a managed services agreement. We don't do break fix. We don't do uh, time and materials billing. We, we do only managed services concepts. So, um, and that's, it's been that way for us for seven years. Well, in 2010, you know, I'm looking at, all right, I need software, right? I mean, the only way a managed services business is going to work is if I can automate the heck out of a lot of stuff. So I'm looking for, you know, what I didn't know what it was called at the time, but I was looking for an RMM tool. And I was looking at the products that were out there that did that sort of thing on a Mac, like your like your Jamf, for example. Um, Jamf is a great product 
if you're an enterprise. I mean, so if you are if you're managing a school and you got a ton of Macs and iOS devices out there, yeah, Jam's your boy. Uh, if you're Apple and you're making a deal with IBM to do put Macs everywhere at IBM, yes, you want Jamf. That's your that's your product. I was staring down a five figure invoice from Jamf <laughs> to cover my client base. And I'm like, oh hell no, I'm not doing this. And it only got me eighty percent of the way there. I still had to roll packages myself, write scripts myself. I'm like, if I'm going to roll packages and write scripts, I'm going to do it myself. And so, you know, the classic build versus buy debate, right? I built it. I built what I wanted. Um, and so, again, 1990s me is making fun of me because I'm like, we're never going to be programmers. We're never going to write programs. <laughs> Guess what? Writing programs. It's 2 a.m. My kids and my wife are asleep and I'm in here banging away at code. Um, and so... You know, we did that. I wrote my own thing to do effectively automated maintenance, monitoring, and patch management on a Mac. And for you know, three, four years later, I'm talking with a number of my peers in the Apple bubble, and they're like, "Oh, I'm using this. I'm using that." Brian, what are you using? I wrote my own. What? What's it do? It does this, this, and this, and this? Take my money. <laughs> so, so I said, "All right, well, let's try this." And I, I made a new business to sell that software uh, as, as a service, uh, and that was Mac MSP. And then about eighteen months into selling it, as and it's it's going like gangbusters. It's doing great. It's it's doubling itself. The business is doubling itself every three months or or less. And so 18 months in, it's like, this is fantastic. We're doing great. There's nothing else like this in the Apple space. I mean, it's fantastic. And the CEO of Logic Now gets on my phone, gets on my phone. And he's like, so <laughs> we stink at Mac and we hear you're pretty good. How about we buy this from you and you can work for us? <laughs> I'm like, you better back the truck up. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> so, okay, let's do this. And then, you know, six months later, they get bought by SolarWinds. And uh, so now I'm a SolarWinds employee uh, on top of everything else, um, managing the the Mac software that I wrote all those years ago. Nice. Um, it's, been a, it's been a heck of a ride. <laughs> now, are you doing the same types of things that we have to worry about in the Windows environment? Now, obviously, you look at things like viruses and malware. And we're, we notice that there's some malware in the Mac universe, but... I really are there in really in the PC side. I don't think there's traditional viruses uh, like they used to be. They're not as rampant as they used to be. Um, but there's a lot of malware in things that, you know, pop-ups and different things that we're dealing with. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's part of my, my, my uh, spiel when I'm talking about the Mac, um, you know, for somebody who's looking at getting into the Mac space or is rather not looking at it, they're thinking about not doing it. I'm saying to them, yeah, don't ignore your Mac users, right? Because, and this is one of the major reasons why, is because, you know, malware, you know, there hasn't been a, a ma traditional virus on the Mac in ages, right? But you still have software like Flash and Java. Um, you still have pop-ups with social engineering. Social engineering doesn't require technology. It just requires somebody to call an 800 number. Absolutely. Uh, and those pop up for, for Macs just as easily as they do for Windows. And then, um, you know, Mac, true Mac malware, um, I think it's still a little overblown. I mean, there was a, there was a ransomware incident not too long ago uh, that was Mac native ransomware. It, it didn't get anywhere. I mean, it, it was it was so poorly coded. Everybody kind of figured out that it was there, and it wasn't set to trigger until like five days after everybody figured out what it was and then got rid of it, right? So I don't know anybody that got hit by that. Um, well, Brian, so, you know what we, what we would say on this side, though? Uh -huh. That's only because there's only, you know, yeah, I know, right? only so it's, many it's, Mac users well, out yeah. there. <laughs> There's a, a 
<laughs> good friend of mine always used to used to rip me with this. He's like, it's security by obsolescence. <laughs> Nobody uses a fax. Who cares? Exactly. And, you know, and, and to some degree, they're right. I mean, that's that's the really funny part is that you know that it's, it's humorous and it's meant to irritate me, but it's they're right. I mean, that's that's why. And so you look at Apple now. There are some technological advantages to the OS that make it, in my opinion, a little bit harder. But those boy, you look at a you look at a, a, a phone to own. And somebody's running Safari and boom, I got my MacBook Pro in 10 seconds. Um, you know, there are security vulnerabilities there. There are. So you've got to stay on top. But it's all the same best practices. you got to stay on top of your patch. Um, you know, you got to kind of count on Apple to patch things quickly. And it's not their greatest track record, but they're getting better. Um, you know, with every bit of their market share, the threat is increasing. We're seeing more and more stuff. And it's getting more technically advanced as it goes. Um, and you look at like Malwarebytes uh, acquiring Adware Medic and bringing Thomas Reed aboard. It's kind of the same deal. I mean, they they will look at it and be like, "Look, this Mac stuff isn't going anywhere. It's only going to get worse. Let's get out in front of it." Um, so I don't think it's you know my personal opinion on it is I don't think it's worth running something resonant in memory all the time to constantly be scanning for this threat because I think the price you pay for that is too high for the benefit you get. But there's going to come a day probably a lot sooner than you think that that's that equation is going to flip on its ear and yeah you you'll be crazy to run a mac without some sort of anti-malware um but that's a mac you know if if apple keeps on this trend that they're doing where they're securing it like ios look how long ios iphone's been out 10 years and has never had a true malware infection that's huge i mean you can't understate how amazing that is with as many iPhones and iPads that are out there, they've never had a true malware infection on that device. It's just because of the architecture. It's so freaking locked down. I mean, unless you're jailbreaking it, there's not a whole lot of ways to get into it. And I, know, I hope the Mac never goes there because it's a totally different experience. But um, that may negate uh, some of the threat level as well. So it's, it's definitely an interesting topic. It's an interesting thing to look at and keep an eye on. For sure. Well, I, I'm a little suspect to even the, you know, I've always had Android phone. I'm a little suspect to, uh, you know, they say, oh, these things get infected. They get malware and this and that. And I'm like, e either I'm the luckiest person in the world because I download some of the craziest stuff, that, you know, on the Internet. Hey, third party, you know, software. Yeah, no problem. Hey, let's load this stuff up. Or it's like it's rainbows and unicorns and the stuff just does not exist like they purport it to exist. You know, that, well, that's that's where I dig back. Right. You know, that's that's somebody's like, I got my, I got my Android. How, how many infections you got? Have you run anti anti uh, anti malware on your uh, Android phone yet? I'm always I mean, my nephew. <laughs> it's like I got an Android phone. It's so much better. Than your iPhone. Yeah. You infected yet? They got your data yet? Uh <laughs> well, Google's got my data. There's no doubt about that. They they. <laughs> You know, I, I had such a love hate with Google for that for that thing. I'm like, I'm never using Google. They steal all your data. Then they wired gigabit fiber to my house here in Kansas City, and I'm like, I love you, Google. You can have all my data. <laughs> you go gigabit for seventy bucks a month. Yes, oh please. man, take all of it. <laughs> you can know everything about me. See, I look. See, I look at all the minor conveniences, and I was telling somebody the other day. I said, you know, you guys in your tinfoil hats out there, you stop me from saying yes to everything, and then all of a sudden I go to use my Square payment reader, and it won't work 
because I didn't let it have the microphone access after an update because I thought, well, what does it need microphone access for? Well, dummy, that's where you plug in your square reader. So obviously it needs access. To, so I'm like going, I, you know what? I don't care what it says. It could say, I'm going to affect your phone right now. And I'm just going to go, yes, give it to me all. <laughs> but I like the modern con- I like the modern conveniences of what Google does for you as far as advertises to you things that I might care about, even if I bought them already, or give me notifications of updates and uh, when I need to leave for an appointment or something like that. Those are the things I enjoy about giving them my data. The hardcore Apple guy in me was really pissed off about Android. I mean, really. I'm like, come on, really? This is Microsoft did this 20 years ago. Knock it (laughs) off, right? But, um, you know... and, and the whole, oh, free email. Thanks, Google. I don't care. I got email. You can't have my stuff for free email. Um, you know, in, in any case, but yeah, I, I got a, I've had to eat, uh, eat crow on that because gigabit fiber, dude. There you go. Gigabit fiber. Awesome. <laughs> fine. Fine, Google. I love you. It's okay. Um, but, you know, going back to the, the Android infection thing, I think it's kind of the same deal. Anytime there's even a whiff of some malware for a Mac, the press goes nuts. They're just like, oh my God, Macs are infected. It's horrible. It's scary. And it's like, you look at it and, and actually dive deep on it. It's like, no, nope, still pretty dumb, easy to spot, easy to get rid of. And, and you know, as part of the, the bit for SolarWinds, you know, I maintain a, a malware removal piece. And usually it's just, I go on the internet, hey, here's the new hotness. What does it do? Uh, it puts this file in here and oh, they named it something. So it looks like Apple put it there. How cute. Uh, if we see that, let's go get rid of it. And we run that scan regularly and it goes, gets rid of it. And, you know, I'm not, not, uh, keeping up on it as well as maybe I should be with, um, you know, I'm not malware bites. Those guys are doing deep research on it. So they're, they're bringing it out the same day the press is hearing about it. Right. It's, it's usually taking me a little, little time to catch up, but you know, our users are covered that we're, they're getting it, they're getting taken care of and we're running clam scanning on it just to be on the safe side. Cause you know, somebody on a forum, actually gave me a little crap about this. They were like, so do you not back up until you have a data loss? <laughs> I'm like, different animal, dude. You know, backup, data loss from failing hardware, that's that's not if, that's when. That's, uh, you know, you're talking theoretical risk or hypothetical risk versus actual risk. Yes, the hard drive is going to fail. They are going to lose data. Yeah, you back it up, obviously. Um, but we're not totally defenseless either. That really answers my question on, you know, the managed services. Now, as far as like your remote support, what are you using to do that? Is that, is that something that has got to be specific to Mac or just something you found that worked? You know, you know, uh, remote support stuff is pretty ubiquitous. I mean, you look at, you name any of the, the really big remote support tools, most of them have a, a Mac centric product. Um, that's something that we were pushing pretty hard at SolarWinds was we were like, Hey, this, this MSP anywhere bit when that uh, merger happened, uh, we had been using team viewer and, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to open up a whole bunch of, if you've got customers on there, I don't want to open up a whole can of worms there because that's, I know that's a sore spot for some folks um, that I had nothing to do with. Seriously. I'm raising my hands. Please don't kill me. Um, <laughs> you know, but, um, but they have a choice. They have TeamViewer. Well, TeamViewer in the in the SolarWinds MSP product, you can't remote control from a Mac to any other computer. So if you're on a Windows PC and you're on a remote control Mac, yeah, you can use the, the OEM TeamViewer uh, take control to do it. Um, on the If you're on a Mac and you're using your Mac as a daily driver like I do, 
um, then that's worthless to you. You you got to use the MSP anywhere bit, which is getting a lot better. They put in a lot of ton of effort into that to make it better. Um, but you know, some people just still like the team viewer thing better. Um, I actually at Mac MSP had our own code for that, and I'm still running that internally, uh, which was a Mac only remote access tool. Um, you know, SolarWinds owns the property now, and it's it's kind of one of those things where we really don't know what we're going to do with it. So people who have it have it. People who don't, sorry. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, that was that was our own our own homebrew answer to that. Uh, how do we remote support a Mac? How do we get into it and, and make it ubiquitous? Well, that's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you've you've really embraced this whole business on the Mac side and thought of all the things that you could do internally to basically support your business. So uh, I, I commend you on that. I'm, I think it's awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It's uh, not something that everybody would actually try to do on their own. I can tell you that. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> well, you know, hey. You know, there's, there's, you know, the whole build versus buy thing, right? My life would be a lot simpler if I just bought more stuff. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm particular about how I want things to work. And, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's more stress than it needs to be. Right. Yeah, there's both sides of the coin. I know people that do a lot of their stuff internally, and they like it that way. There's people that do open source, and they're like, "We do every, we do our whole business on open source, and that and it works for them." And and we're not talking about small rinky dink businesses. We're talking about you know good sized businesses, and it's like, hey, if it works, keep using it. You know, keep doing it. Yeah, our patch management tool is based on a really popular open source. Uh, it's the same open source tool they use at like Facebook and Google um, and, and a bunch of other big, big companies to use uh, to manage their Mac fleets. And it's all open source tech. We just kind of built on top of that uh, and made it a little made it a little more turnkey. Nice. Well, Brian, I, you know, we're we could probably go on forever because it sounds like you and I got uh, good conversations going here. I'm enjoying myself, but <laughs> well, the hour's up man we gotta go <laughs> exactly no we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back but uh i i understand that you are going to be a a, a key speaker at the unconvention 2017 yes. is that correct yes sir looking forward to that that's gonna be a blast yeah come on out we'll, uh kind of the same deal they they want to you know they're they're playing off the fact that i've been there done that you know, with you name it, retail, MSP, software vendor, uh, back to employee. Uh, you know, my best max is largely running itself day to day. So going from self-employed to business owner. Um, so there's a lot, I, you know, they're, they want to want me to talk a lot about the different perspectives and, and uh, going that route. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Should be should be a great time at Unconvention this year. Yeah, I definitely think it will be. And I'm going to give them a little shout out. Uh, DC on Convention 2017 is in Washington, D.C., September 16th and 17th. And if you want to hear more of Brian's story, he will be there. Uh, IT Conference for Techs and Business Owners Reimagined. Learn from fellow techs and business owners. Get business strategies that work in the real world. Discover new tech. If you're an owner or operator in managed services, IT consulting, or a break-fix tech, this is the place for you. Get your hotel and tickets now. Only 100 tickets available. Go to unconvention.io. So definitely check that out. Yeah, I, I, it'd be exciting to hear uh, some of the things that you've gone through in building your business and kind of the ins and outs and maybe some of the uh, not so good times and some of the good times and the lessons you've learned along the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can, you can, hopefully everyone's, there's something for everybody. <laughs> and I'll have a little, little surprise for everybody who's there. So it should be a lot of fun. It's going to be a blast. Well, Brian, I enjoyed thoroughly talking with you and learning more about your business and kind of the different things where you came from and, and what you've done in your business. If people want to get in contact with you, what would be the best way to do that? Um, yeah, you're welcome to email me, brian at bestmax.com. It's a B-E-S-T-M-A-C-S, uh, plural Mac, which is its own story. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, bestmax.com. Uh, my first name, Brian, B-R-I-A-N. Uh, we'll get you there. Very cool. And we'll definitely have that in the show notes. Well, I appreciate you coming out and uh, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for the time. It's been a blast. I appreciate it. No problem. You guys can find me on the Google Plus at Jeffrey Hellish or Twitter at TechnutPC. If you'd like to be a guest like Brian was, send an email to guest at podnuts.com. And I want to thank our sponsor, Instant House Call, for this episode of Podnuts Daily. Don't forget, if you need business paperwork to get you started in your computer repair business, then check out the link for the TechNable Computer Business Kit over at podnuts.com slash deals. And if you guys want to help support the Podnets Network in bringing this great content by giving a dollar a month through our subscribe button over at podnets.com or patreon.com forward slash podnuts. And I want to thank everyone for listening and subscribing to the show. We'll see you next time on Podnets Daily. Music provided by Steve Cherubino at stevecherubino.com.